Welcome back to part two of our conversation with Garrett Diamond from Wildbit, formerly of Sifter. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a smart angle he has there of like, be, you know, how much risk is there really in these? If you have a SaaS app that's been running for eight years, yeah, like how much risk is there really in that? And um, so, hey, just make the deal fast and easy for the person selling. And yeah, maybe they are willing to take a little less because you're going to be like, listen, here's a check. I don't want, I don't need you to stick around for six months. I don't need you to, you know, have escrow and you know, payouts over years and all that stuff. It's like, yeah. nope, just walk away. And that's uh yeah, that's a smart angle <laughs> for sure. And it works out and they've done a good job with it. They have six apps or whatever he's got now. And like, yeah, yeah he's got the team. Yeah. Well, he's just a different type of buyer in general, right. right? Like the things he cares about and he's using to evaluate apps and make decisions aren't the things that a really, really business like focused buyer is going to zero in on. Like he's looking at the, you know, when we talked about, I actually talked to him the other day for, uh, interviewed him for my book. Cause I'm doing a series of interviews around uh, other people involved in SAS and whatever way. Mm -hmm. And uh, we talked about it is that he, you know, he looks at like the reputation of the founder and things like that. Um, you know, they care about code quality and some of this other stuff. And like, it was it was really interesting that he takes a much more personalized approach to buying the business than, you know, is it looking at all the the metrics and really, really zeroing in and being like, where can I turn some things around and make more money off of this or milk it or whatever? He's looking for a good, healthy business that'll last and that he can improve over time and take care of. You know, it's a long term view. Yeah, I think that's one of the advantages of him kind of hanging out in the SaaS circles too, right? Is like he knows people and if you're just coming in as a straight, you have some money and you're from wherever, but you don't, you don't know anything about the industry. Uh, you know, you're, you're not going to know the players and stuff. And then also, uh, yeah, I think he also has that attitude of like, it's a little bit more like an annuity where somebody else might be more about, okay, like I'm going to buy this and I, I'm trying to triple revenue, you know, in yeah. 18 months or whatever. Like that's the, can I, can I buy this thing and triple the revenue? Whereas he's a little bit more laid back in that regard. And it's like, Hey, it's, profitable as it is i'm gonna like just chip away at making it better and not be so worried about is it right there tomorrow is it gonna do i have an obvious thing to make it you know triple its growth or whatever i'm just gonna be okay yeah, with exactly. what it is you know which is kind of interesting now different, uh, different mm, take uh garrett you mentioned that uh, uh a book you're writing now but you also had like a first edition and you're working on a second edition of a book about building the web app or yeah, building and, you know, starting it, building it, launching it, running it, and now selling it. It started out, I was just going to add on what I learned through the process of selling and going through to two deals, effectively, uh, very night and day deals and got a lot of perspective on how these get sold and, and working with buyers. But then as I got into it, going through the process of selling kind of forced me to look at the business under a microscope from a different perspective than I previously had as somebody who was just, you know, a product person that wants to make a product. And so it really helped me see a lot of mistakes that I made in different light. And so then I originally was just like, oh, I'll just add another section about selling and a handful of chapters and maybe sprinkle some updates in. But the more I got into it, the more I'm like, wow, I could really update this too. And so now it's kind of, you know, it's a second edition, but I'm on the verge of darn near rewriting the book. Um, a, a lot of the content in the first edition still holds up very well. Uh, and it was, that was by design. Like a lot of the advice wasn't 
it was designed to be pretty perpetual advice, not like here's the hot new technology, use this or use that. Um, but now I feel like I can do a better job, make it more concise, cover more ground. Um, so it's turning into a very large project. And now I've kind of started this process of interviewing other SaaS founders, people like JD who bought businesses, um, and just people in and around the industry so about that, various topics. Is that going to go into the second edition or is that a separate book? The interviews right now, I'm just publishing them on, uh, it's starting and sustaining.com. I published the whole first edition there. So it's free for anybody to read. Um, and now I'm starting to publish the interviews there and I like, it's fun. So I think I'm just going to keep doing it indefinitely. Um, originally I was kind of thinking like, Oh, I'll just do like 15 to 20 interviews. It'll help give me some inspiration for the book. Um, it'll be, you know, just good to kind of get my gears going. And, uh, now it's something where it's like, Oh, I could, you know, keep doing these one, two a month, something like that. Um, and there's just been a lot of really interesting conversation that comes out of them. Uh, kind of just talking sass. <laughs> talking sass. <laughs> Sounds like a good <laughs> podcast name. Yeah, it is. There you go. Got to get get you on a pod, get you a podcast here. Although these videos are kind, of, they're kind of you know you could actually I don't know you don't pull them out into podcasts right, but you could. No, I could. Um, I mean, I'm getting them transcribed and doing all that stuff, mm. um, and it probably could very easily just put together a podcast and have it kind of be a little bit of everything. Um, but at the same time, at some point, I actually have to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, Andre. I was gonna say, and then Wild Bit called and you went to Wildbit not as a developer but as like the thing that most SaaS owners hate which is the marketing <laughs> and you went into the marketing uh, end of it well so it's yeah um marketing at Wildbit isn't probably your traditional marketing right um we're experimenting and trying to force ourselves out of our comfort zone to try some of the more traditional marketing things but um for us marketing is more like we want to create things and like that help developers and give it away and just have faith that the goodwill will ultimately come back and and work out. So like we've created um, dmark.postmarkapp.com, which is a tool to let you, when you set up dmark authentication on your uh, mail, the XML reports that the inbox providers get and send you are just horrendous. You can't make sense of them. And so we just built this free tool and you send all, you ha route all these XML reports to DMARC, we consolidate them and combine them and then send you a pretty report in an email once a week. And so like we just build tools like that and try to do things like that or, you know, now we're starting to do more open source. So really like technically it's marketing, but ultimately our approach to marketing is more kind of <clears throat> developer evangelist type of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um so it's a little bit of everything. And, and part of the reason too is because I wanted to focus on that more with Sifter, but I just never really got around to it. And so in this way, it's kind of helping me get out of my comfort zone and focus more on as a developer, like what kind of tools do I want? What do I want to see and think about how to kind of pitch those and market them. And a lot of it's writing, like we're trying to write more, write more guides and things like that to just teach people and help people. Um, so it is marketing, but it's a philosophy of what can we create that helps people? And just, we know that, you know, if we help developers learn and become better developers, we're going to be on their radar when they need a product and hopefully they'll like what we're doing. 
so did they have this position before or they kind of invented it for you or no they were kind of thinking about doing something like this and it just you know when i reached out to them because i was trying to you know thinking about going ahead and selling sifter right uh they kind of adapted the position they had in mind and thought you know well you are a developer you like to write let's just you know kind of mold this position to your strengths and we'll just start building a marketing team out and because Wildbit's really never done much in the way of marketing. They've kind of shared a little bit here and there, but they're like most people. They just kind of get pulled into the product and stayed focused on the product. And then every now and then came up for an announcement or a blog post. But it wasn't like a systematized thing where they were really good at it. And not that I was great at it, but, you know, I was excited about it. And so the idea to be able to come over to Wildbit and just focus almost exclusively on that has been really cool. Yeah, I mean, especially because their products are, in, you know, incredibly dev heavy, right? Centric. Yeah, so absolutely. you don't want just like, you know, the MBA marketing guy or gal to, they're not going to get it. They're not going to be able to understand what the yeah. developers are looking for. So, uh, and it is hard to find that person who's done marketing and is a developer. You know, that's a weird combination right there. So, right. uh that that is kind of a unique role, which is pretty cool. I feel like most developers who also understand marketing are the types of people who are going to go use those skills and start a business, right? Right, right. They're already doing that or or yeah. aiming to do that or whatever. So, yeah, for sure. So, how is it? Uh, one of the things I'm interested in because we uh, have some other projects we're kind of starting to think about uh, in my company and. How do they structure having, like, I think they have like three main products at Wildbit, right? You guys have like three main products? Three with a fourth on the way. Okay, see, fourth yeah. on the way. <laughs> so how does, is everybody work on everything? Are there distinct teams? Like, I'm kind of curious just about the structure for my own yeah. selfish purposes. So we, where do I even start? <laughs> so the, the products, just by their nature, like products kind of have a life cycle, right? Like an ebb and a flow yeah. where like they're really... You know, you find traction and then it's like, all right, well, we can improve the product. But like at some point, you're going to have diminishing returns on some improvements or like in Beanstalk's case, right? Like the version control world is pretty well defined in what's good for what. And that's something where so Beanstalk is kind of this really mature product. Right. It would be a huge effort to make it to add a big new chunk of functionality. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to you're not going to add a game changing thing to a product like that. And so it's just a good, healthy product. Um, and then you've got deploy bot, which is kind of a smaller, almost an offshoot of Beanstalk. Um, so like for instance, the, the team that does the support and customer success for Beanstalk is also doing it for deploy bot because they're so closely related. Mm. Um, and then you've got postmark, which is something we've been like right now, a lot of the team is focused on postmark just because it's kind of, We've been adding a lot of features. We just hired uh, our first full-time product manager for that. And so like, that's really kind of help us just run things a lot more smoothly in terms of prioritization, announcements, um, coordination, just a lot of that has really improved having that, uh, having a product manager. Um, So it kind of ebbs and flows. There's a handful of people who work on, and plus there's the fourth product coming. And so there's definitely some juggling that goes on. Systems tends to be more of a shared effort. Mm. A lot of our systems, um, you know, it, it's more of like its group and marketing is more of 
kind of a shared thing. But right now, for instance, we're heavily focused on Postmark. But then the developers kind of, everybody's got theirs where they know that product the best, but they right. kind of, depending on how things are going, will kind of shift around and focus on different things. And then we've got internal things like, you know, analytics and tools like that that we work on. So there's a lot going on, but it tends to be the team moves more based on the product and where it is in its life cycle than based on like being tied to a specific product, if that right. makes sense. Right, right, right. And how many people are there now? Like 30? 26 at the moment. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's great. It's come a long way over there too. Yeah, it has. Well, and this next product is, uh, unfortunately, I can't talk about it too much yet. Hopefully, we'll be talking about it soon. Yeah. Um, it's it's probably one of the more ambitious undertakings. Oh, man. So we're, we're kind of nervous and excited about it all at the same time. And the, were there like developers brought on for that or was it um, the existing um, devs? Yeah. So for the most part, it's the existing team, uh, but there is a Mac OS component. So mm. we did start to uh, grow some of our Mac OS skills. Wow. What the heck? Now, now I'm going to have to <laughs> figure this out. This is like, oh. like a puzzle here. I'm gonna get, we're going to get you fired on Bootstrap FM when you uh, <laughs> <laughs> we get the goods out of you here. That's funny. Um, cool. So, see, Andre messed us up. We were supposed to do some informal. He sent us right into the formal. So, uh, have you been watching Westworld? I know Andre hasn't been watching no. Westworld, right, Andre? I, no. I don't do boobs or sex or anything like that from TV shows. <laughs> you have a kid. You must do some of that stuff. But anyway, that's another side. Um <laughs> All right. So, what about you? Garrett? I've I've watched it, but I haven't seen the finale. Um, just I've been too busy since that came out that I haven't had a chance to watch it. And it is a the whole show is just so all over the place. <laughs> but I think it's starting to make sense on some degree. Where my, are favorite, you? my favorite thing has been uh, the the tweets from people saying uh, the scariest thing about Westworld is that all of these robots are running on React. Because <laughs> I guess there was a screenshot of a tablet and it showed some React code. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, they did a pretty good job with the code and stuff in it. I feel like it's, you know, it looks, you know, sometimes it's like just so horrible looking, like yeah, obviously fake. And they had some good stuff in there. I thought that was pretty good. And there's a kind of critical one in the finale where they show a screen and it, and uh, it's like, yeah, it's, yeah, that's some code, like, that's re- I mean, it's kind of highlights the part you're supposed to be able to read and whatever, but it's, yeah. uh, it's reasonable. You got to get the uh, you got to get the soundtrack. The soundtrack is amazing. I've just been listening to the soundtrack on repeat for like three days now. Oh, I've been completely obsessed with the Hamilton soundtrack lately. <laughs> I got to get into that. I haven't really that gotten is, into the Hamilton. I'm not a big musical person, but mm-hmm. hip hop and history <laughs> and it goes together. It just sucks me. And it's not all hip hop, right? Like it's kind of hip hop yeah. R and B. There's some more traditional musical type stuff in there, but yep. just the story and you add it all together. It's just really well done. And, and I've really been into that. Have you seen the play? No, no, not yet. Hopefully someday. Yeah. Probably still hard to get tickets. I imagine. Where I are you? You're in Texas, hard. right? Yeah. I'm in Dallas. Uh, Hamilton, is, Dallas. Hamilton is not on a, on a, No, it's New York and Chicago right right now. And I think even the cheap seats are like 500 bucks a pop. Wow. So it's, it's not very practical to go if you're, uh, you got to travel there and, you know. (laughs) Well, when you're in Philly, it's only like, you know, hour and a half or whatever. 
No, I thought about that. I thought about that, but yeah, I don't know. That's a little pricey. A little pricey yeah, still. Still, still, don't love it that much. I'll listen to the soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting like 90% of it here in the soundtrack. So, yeah. All right. What about video games? Do you play video um, games? Not a whole lot, really. Yeah. Um, I did. And like, I always, I loved Halo before. But yeah, I mean, I don't have a console anymore. Um, now I think I think a lot of this has had more to do with getting married like instead of because she doesn't play video games so instead like now I watch more TV than I've ever watched right but like almost uh, at least all the shows I watch for the most part like we'll watch together there's a couple that I was able to watch while I was laid up in bed from all my foot issues but for the most part like everything we watch we watch together so that's kind of my escape now this week bootstrapped is sponsored by Linode um, if you're looking for virtual machine hosting, I uh, definitely ought to check out Linode. They have eight data centers. Um, all the plan, the base plan starts at two gigabytes of RAM and it goes up from there into very large servers. Really straightforward pricing, 10 bucks a month um, to start. And that's actually built hourly. So if you want to spin up a, a server just to play around with a side project and spin it back down, you're only going to pay, uh, you know, for the fraction of, of time you used on that. Um, they recently switched uh, from Zen to KVM and have seen you know 300% performance increases uh, with the servers uh, we use at Userscape um, run on Linode. And we did that conversion. And it's amazing. We were able to actually lower uh, the size of many of our servers down to just the base 2 gigabyte server because they're just ridiculously fast now. So... That's really been awesome. It's all uh, 40 gig uh, network. It's all modern Intel processors. It's all native SSD storage, 24-7, 365 support, uh, seven-day money-back guarantee if you don't like it, which I don't know why you wouldn't. Um, again, I've been hosted there for, I don't even know how long, five years or more um, with about 10 servers. Andre uses it as well. Uh, so definitely, definitely highly recommend Linode. Um, and... Uh, They've actually given us a, an offer code, bootstrapped20. So if you use that code, you'll get 20 bucks off um, when you sign up for an account in Linode. So basically, uh, you can get your first two months for free, uh, or even if you're only using it for partial months, it could be last you longer than that, obviously. So definitely check that out. Offer code bootstrapped20. And we'll have that in the show notes, uh, as well as a link right to that, that that applies a discount for you. So go ahead and just check it out in the show notes, click on it. Um, our big, big thanks to Linode for always being a huge supporter of the show, and uh, I really can't highly recommend them enough. We use them for uh, everything at Userscape, and uh, it's been been rock solid. So thanks a lot to Linode for sponsoring the show. Speaking, oh. sorry, go ahead. no, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, speaking of video games, uh, I wanted to mention something that kind of goes back to uh, running a company too. Um, you know, remember The Last of Us? We talked about that a while back. Yeah, you got it, but this you played game. five minutes of it. It was the game of the year. I'm like ten minutes in. It was the game of the year back in a couple of years back, right? Made them a ton of money. This is Naughty Dog that made it, <clears throat> and uh, game of the year won like thousands of awards. It's like one of the best games of all time. It's considered to be right, and uh, it is that because of the story, right? It's very story driven, character stories, whatever. Um, so now they released a trailer for the sequel, which was uh last of us 2 and this was one of those stories where it's one of those things where like the end uh shot like the ending camera shot in the first game was so 
perfectly done. It was the mm. it, the game is superbly directed. It was so perfectly done that a lot of the fans were like, "You cannot make a sequel to this. You will ruin it, regardless <laughs> of what you come up with." Right. Right. And so they they made a, uh, they did make a sequel of it, and the, you know when they released the trailer at, uh, at a conference recently, the whole crowd just went nuts. But I read like the release for the release uh, uh, news. Uh, the press, PR, release. press release yeah and one paragraph got me it said we were going back and forth on what the story had to be for the sequel and like and we dropped it a few times which said we're not going to do it at all because if we can't come up with like a story that is worthy of telling as a sequel to this first one we're not going to do it at all and like mm. to think about this isn't like this isn't like you writing a book that's like your own personal endeavor this is like a company yeah. with payroll this is their ip that they put a lot of r&d into that made a lot of money and any lesser right. movie would like go out and they will do like ice age 27 because the ice uh, age yeah. 1 through 26 made some money there was some there was some smaller and smaller amounts of money but they still made money enough to cover ice age 27 for a company that say we're going to put so much into the quality of our product that if we can't think of a sequel worthy of a sequel, we're just going to not do it at all. It's just, it was, it was like, it was confirmed to me that why Naughty Dog is on a very short list of companies for me that I would love to go work for if I had any skills in making <laughs> video games. But just as a, as a, as a company ethos type of a thing. So I just wanted to. But yeah, it's, it's so hard to find these days, I think, is the companies that care that much about what they're creating. Right. Yeah, for sure. And it's like, and it is like such a tricky balancing act there. And it's like, yeah, you're going to, are you going to risk the company? Are you going to produce something that, you know, you know, you know that they, they know that they can, you know, make, you know, 300 million by just releasing this game. And what, it doesn't even matter what it is. Cause it's going to have this great brand name on it and, and whatever. And uh, yeah, to make that call, I feel like in games though, it's like one of those things where, it is that weird dynamic, right? Because it's like if you're just sell B two B apps, like you could release a lesser one, and it sucks, and people will be like that, that app sucks. But it doesn't, unless you're doing like some shady stuff or whatever. It probably doesn't like super reflect on your brand, or at least it's recoverable from that. But games and movies, like there's this whole other component where it's so t- it's so emotional, you know, and it's yeah. like. I had this like faith in you that you were going to deliver and then yeah. you didn't deliver. And so now I hate you forever. And or musicians have to deal with that all the time. Right. Yeah, like everybody's too. just keep, keep releasing stuff like your old stuff. Like, right. well, we want right. to, we want to grow <laughs> and try new things. And for that sort of stuff, that, you can't like, you almost can't bounce back with like a third version. That's better. You almost have to like disappear. So you, so you yeah. leave people's mindsets for a while in order to be able to make a comeback that's good enough. Because otherwise, you leave such a bad taste that your next version is just going to have that uphill battle regardless of how good it is. So you almost have to be gone for a while and not release any more sequels or whatever for a couple of years. So that like, almost like a new generation of, of customers will pick up your, your new book or your new story or whatever. Yeah. Any like business with art as its foundation has that kind of vibe to it, I guess. Well, you it's... Know? Cause- it's- a blessing and a curse, right? Cause your fans almost have a, a stake and, you know, like yeah. with art, it's, it's so subjective, but it can also be so powerful that your fans are so tied up in it. And it's so meaningful to them that you can't just change it without expecting them to be like, wait, what, what happened? Right. And it's that emo- like, that's the upside for the business of art, if you will, of like, 
you have something that people react emotionally to, which is, I mean, how many, you know, B2B apps are trying to get you to have any emotional reaction at all to content they're producing uh, or their positive, website or whatever. A positive emotional reaction. Preferably, preferably <laughs> positive, but I'd say even almost any reaction at all, right? Like no matter, you know, it's because there's, it's not sexy and maybe it makes you some more money or you're a middle manager. It doesn't like trying to get you emotional about, you know, your help desk app or your issue tracker or whatever. Like that is a, a hard, there's not an, an inherent emotional aspect to that like there is with a video game or a movie or a song but then yeah but then the flip side of that is right you get that you can have just as strongly a negative reaction and create those uh people who are out you know making websites in your honor to in a negative way you know well, you, naughty, you naughty say naughty that sucks. but like and this this almost feels really nerdy to admit like part of the reason i reached out to wild a bit and like got to be friends with them was just because of all the apps I used building a sifter postmark was like the one app that I just loved every aspect of interacting right. with <laughs> the API with support, um, you know, with just everything about it. I loved it. And so it grew on me over time. And so, you know, I just got in touch with them more and more and was like, Hey, I'm kind of thinking about selling this. And, you know, they're like, come work here. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'd love to. And, you know, so it was just, it's possible. It's doable. No, it definitely is possible. It's just, it's not inherent in its nature. I feel like, well, you know, is that you, you probably have to be a little, some kind of weird to fall in love with your email provider, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think, I mean, getting to that place is really, is important because it does have a lot of advantages. I mean, like almost everybody or basically everybody works at Userscape had some positive interaction with us before they yeah. were here, you know? And so like two of the people were customers and, um, you know, the developers, one like knew us from Laravel and, uh, you know, so yeah, like that, that foundation has a lot of business consequences that are yeah. subtle, no, but, but that's so the way to do it though. Like it's hard to build that up over time, but then once it kind of comes to fruition, it's so rewarding. Yeah. I think. Yeah, for sure. No. All right. We're not going to yeah. keep Garrett for... I got, I, got, I, got, I got more TV shows to ask him about. Oh, you do? All right, go ahead. No, no I actually <laughs> don't have any shows. <laughs> uh, yeah, so what else do you have coming up here? So I guess the, the book is supposed to come out in uh, springtime. Now, are you gonna is that going to happen or what? I hope so. <laughs> um, we'll see. I'm trying to – We so we're moving to Colorado in like probably oh, wow. May. We're probably going to sell our house like January wow. and kind of – so there's a bunch of bunch of important life things happening that <laughs> I'd rather not like be juggling all this. So I have a pretty heavy deadline on myself mm. to have it handed over to an editor sometime in January. Um, I'm not feeling super great about that, but <laughs> it's 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 doable. It's yeah. definitely doable. Um, it may slip a little bit, but yeah, I don't I don't want this dragging out into competing with our move and all that kind of stuff. So I got to be honest, I started reading the first edition and then you announced the second edition and I stopped reading the first edition. <laughs> <laughs> the waiting. first edition is still relevant. I, I kind of feel like I, now it's old. <laughs> now I want to see the new thing. Oh, it's... Well, you got some of it up on... Is this... When you're posting on meet on the site, like, is that, is that the first edition in the media so articles? most of it is the first edition. I've okay. published some other things that are kind of seeds of ideas for mm -hmm. future chapters. Gotcha. 
that will end up getting polished and refined because most of the stuff on on now like whenever i blog like it's pretty stream of consciousness whereas like it's not edited and reviewed by somebody else get another set of eyes on it um whereas on the book like golly editors are ruthless that was one (laughs) thing i learned writing the first one like having an editor go over it and it was it really really helped me kind of see and be like wow i'm a Got a lot of room for improvement here. So, <laughs> yeah, it'll be a lot better once it's kind of packaged up and there's going to be a lot more. Like right now I'm on pace to kind of double the size of the book, which makes wow. me a little uncomfortable. So we'll see. Why are you moving to Colorado? What's uh, you just change of pace? Get out of the heat? Why so, Why wouldn't I move to why Colorado? Go. <laughs> uh, Everybody's moving. I know a lot of people moving to Colorado. So that's... Yeah, I was on, I, where, I was on that short list too. Um, we're moving to Crested Butte, which is kind of like central Colorado, oh, wow. a little, little mountain town, sure. ski town. Um, awesome. my in-laws always planned on retiring up there and mm. my wife and I love Colorado. We go there probably three times a year, um, and love all that stuff. So, wow, that's great. Like, yeah, let's, let's live in the mountains. Do it. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of sun there, right? even though it does, yeah. it's like, it's yeah. actually quite sunny. So it is that's cool. Balance generally really nice weather coming from texas heat to the hottest it ever gets there is like 85 right. is, uh, <laughs> fantastic yeah that's great all right man well thanks for being on yeah thanks for having me. this has been fun thank you we'll link you up in the show notes and yeah check out starting and sustaining.com and uh he'll have or more for you there the, the probably better url oh. is uh get.startingandsustaining.com now so that people can get on the newsletter Okay, right. cool. Awesome. Do that. We'll link it in the show notes. That'll make it easy for everybody. Yeah. So go check it out. Thanks a lot, Garrett. Thanks, Garrett. Cool, yeah. Thanks. See you all.